Live from the heartland and the crossroads of America, it's Tony Katz today. Well, the world may want to say to itself, ooh, the Olympics are coming. You still have the military buildup of the Russians on the border of Ukraine. While Russia claims that it's being surrounded by NATO nations, take a look at where the buildup is and you realize it's Ukraine. That is rather surrounded. With 100,000 troops to the south, you have a a Russia-aligned Belarus to the north, other areas uh, giving their aid and comfort. And as we've discussed, should we be sending troops? The Biden administration really going to send 8,500 troops? 8,500 troops to do what exactly? Go to Eastern Europe and do what exactly? The phrase that I have used here on the program goes as follows. Is the Biden administration prepared to have American soldiers shoot Russian corporals in the face? Forgive me if that's a little strong. But if that's not why you're sending the 8,500 troops, how in the world is it meant to be a deterrent? And does anybody believe an American deterrent under Joe Biden? What options, what opportunities are there? Are we going to war? And should it even be our deal to think about, considering the Germans don't really seem to care all that much? Tony Katz, Tony Katz today. It's good to be with you. 833-468-8669-833. Got Tony, that is the number. Noah Rothman joins us right now from Commentary Magazine is where you can find his work. You see him on NBC, commentary.org. That's where you look it up. Uh, His latest piece, Today in Asinine Studies, which, by the way, should be a college course presented everywhere across the country, Noah Rothman. Um, I had asked two questions on on social media. Are we going to war with Russia and Ukraine? Should we even send troops? And you responded with a spoiler alert saying no and no. So first, break this down for us. Are we going to war with Russia and Ukraine? Well, certainly not if uh, we can manage to deter Russia from doing something reckless on the borders of NATO. There's a preferred straw man that is deployed by, um, I say, extremes on the fringes of the American left and the American right that contends any and all effort to deter Russia from behaving aggressively in Ukraine is tantamount to engaging aggressively ourselves. Um, It's a very familiar argument to students of Cold War history. It's one that's been used by opponents of the exercise of American power since I've been an adult, um, probably much longer than that, and it is utterly baseless fraudulent, intellectually bankrupt. The objective on the part of the West is to prevent a catastrophic event in Europe that would draw in America's ratified allies. And we don't need to look to ancient history to see what that would look like. It occurred earlier this year when Belarus executed a refugee crisis streaming into the borders of Poland, destabilizing the Polish government, necessitating the response of America's allies. An invasion of Ukraine, full-scale invasion of Ukraine, as terrible as that is to imagine, or even something a little lighter, but let's go with the idea of a full-scale invasion of Ukraine, would mean a refugee crisis streaming into Europe, all heading west, two to three million people. Uh, you, don't, you can just recall what that looked like in the Syrian crisis and how that affected European politics 
uh, the prospect of disastrous flood of money out of uh, Europe, malaise, political dissatisfaction, and the prospect of a very ungoverned Ukraine, um, the, uh, which is full of bad actors which would likely necessitate the deployment of special forces, maybe not in Americas, but certainly Poland, Romania, Bulgaria, half a dozen other countries that are going to be affected by this crisis that can't allow an ungoverned space on their border to develop and metastasize irregular units that would harass and destabilize their countries. This would so necessitate now our involvement quickly. This is why we well, need to now, let, let, Let's take a step real quick. Before it would necessitate our involvement Quickly, let's talk about the Europeans in in this case, because the Europeans and and we're talking about France, Germany, the United Kingdom. There are some very interesting takes here. Uh, the UK, they've been sending arms and armaments for a couple of weeks now. You can actually see the flights that were going on before the United States even thought about sending anything. They were sending help to the Ukrainians. Uh, the, the French, as, as I see it, maybe, maybe I've missed where they've been more vocal uh, uh, about this, have, have not been a big conversation piece because the other side of the UK, as I have seen it, is Germany which doesn't seem interested in getting involved because, after all, they need the Nord Stream 2 pipeline from Russia in order to get, get them uh, the energy they need, and it's going to give the Russians billions of dollars. So if Europe sees, as you're describing it, this possibility of if you see invasion from Russia, you're going to see a stream of 2 to 3 million refugees into Europe, which will change the landscape of Europe, how can Germany be so silent? And is the UK working in, in, in besides the capacity we see to get Europe to say, hey, we got to make sure this doesn't happen? Yeah. Again, for the students of Cold War history, will be very familiar with how Berlin is behaving. Before Berlin, it was bombed. They tried to cut a third way between these tensions between the United States and, and Moscow through the whole of, of their post-war existence. The same could be said of France, which briefly – abandoned NATO, left NATO, in order to just carve out its third-way option. Uh, I find these to be obnoxious, pusillanimous, conciliatory measures on the part of these capitals. But it also overinflates. I mean, Germany is a very influential country, so is Paris or France. But it overinflates their relevance within the alliance because you're not talking – when you're talking about these two capitals, you're doing so at the expense of Spain, Portugal, Italy, Poland, Czech Republic, Bulgaria, Romania – half a dozen other countries to say nothing of the non-aligned nations, Sweden and Finland and NATO and uh, Turkey, which is a NATO ally, but sort of a fringy one, uh, all of which have spoken with one voice on this matter. Um, the squeaky wheels are getting a lot of attention here, uh, unduly, in my view, in order to advance a political argument, a domestic political argument, which is that, which is a McGovernite view. America come home. Uh, is one that's very attractive, I think, to, again, the fringes of the right and the left. But we have no evidence from the polling that it's even remotely representative of what the American public thinks. There's close to general unanimity, according to Pew Research Center and CBS News, about the threat posed by Moscow, which most partisans, left and right, agree is either a major or a minor threat, and that the, the uh, American interests that are at stake here are understood Indeed, by more Republicans than Democrats, which is only intuitive because more Republicans than Democrats have spent their entire adult lives marinating in the idea that Russian geopolitical interests in Europe are directly opposed to and threatening toward ours. Talking to Noah Rothman of Commentary Magazine, commentary.org.
That was a mouthful to digest. So let me break it up into the couple of pieces that that I can. And I think you do a very good job of really kind of breaking down something that I I would I argue that foreign policy wise we need to be looking into. What we look to as Europe in the past, I said UK, France, Germany, may not be the Europe we need to look to now. Poland is a very, very astute understander of what happens when Russia is not checked. No one lived through more hellscape uh, than the Poles between Nazism and and, and communism. And they have clearly taken a pro-American point of view, which is certainly not within the mainstream right now uh, of, of Europe. But the, the question before us is we have a president saying 8,500 troops. That's the conversation. We might send 8,500 troops uh, in, into Eastern Europe. You talk about no polling that shows uh, that the United States has an interest, or, or America has an interest, I should say, the people, in bringing troops out of Europe. There is zero polling that would show you that Americans have an interest in sending 8,500 troops to Eastern Europe just to sit there and not actually be a deterrent when Germany won't do anything, including paying up its dues to NATO. So why are we sending 8,500 troops? I, I, I just find these two arguments to be incompatible. Um, I'm not sure what one has to do with the other. The idea behind deterrence is that you flood a zone not only with troops, sure, mechanized infantry, area denial, anti-aircraft, maritime assets. The idea here is to flood the area with personnel to make Russia think twice about moving in the event that it accidentally stumbles into one of these tripwires. That's what deterrence is, is to make the enemy blink, not to engage the enemy. If you've engaged the enemy, deterrence has failed. That's the that's the goal here. We're talking past each other to that extent. And yes, there's no appetite to send troops to Ukraine to combat Russia. You know why? That's not on the table. No one's proposing it. No serious person would even entertain that. There's no treaty obligation there. There's no national security obligation there. The objective is to prevent conflict, not start one. So now I'm going to take a step back, and let me push back on you and challenge you a little bit. First, I'm not the one who said we should send troops. I am discussing what is being discussed. Your argument, it might be a little more uh, directed to the point that people could say it, but no one's seriously considering the thing. But deterrence is also about a belief that the other guy will actually do it. And I don't believe that anybody believes that Biden, as you and I discussed uh, in in great detail, the the failure of the withdrawal from Afghanistan, Noah, that that has created ripples and and massive damage in terms of the perception of the United States, specifically this administration, and how our allies see us. Taiwan taking a second glance at, my gosh, what can China do now? Certainly Ukraine has to be looking at that and saying, holy hell, we've got ourselves a a serious issue. Isn't part of this that even if you sent 8,500 troops, and I get your point about what deterrence is, no one believes that the United States under Biden would act anyway. It's quite possible. That's the wild card. And that's what, uh, you know, keeps keeps you up at night is the extent to which America is credible under this president president. And his behavior in Afghanistan suggests to America's adversaries and certainly near peer competitors like China and Russia that see a window of opportunity and probably don't see in the near future anything that looks this tantalizing to them. And that increases the incentives they have to act. That's very disconcerting. The way to combat that to restore credibility is to behave credibly, uh, is to engage in this with this threat 
and to provide as many off-ramps to Moscow as possible. Now, that involves the deployment, as I said, of assets, of troops, of the implementation, not the threat, the implementation of preventative economic sanctions against the Russian entity, but also diplomacy, symmetry, maybe even the unilateral restoration of some defunct security agreements like Open Skies or the Intermediate Range Nuclear Forces Treaty. Something, anything to give them a face-saving off-ramp here in order to get away from the prospect of what I truly believe would be a disastrous conflict that would necessitate America's involvement by virtue of its treaty obligations sooner rather than later. That's the outcome we're all trying to prevent here. And the notion here that we're arguing amongst ourselves over whether, not if, but whether, we should oblige, we should respond proactively to this threat suggests a misunderstanding of what the idea of a bluff is. There's a lot of people who are thinking about, oh, maybe Putin's bluffing. He doesn't want this, and we're flooding the area with weapons. It's good. It's actually starting to make, I think, Moscow think twice a little bit. It's all good, but it was a bluff in the first place. Russia's never going to move. Well, that doesn't understand what a bluff is. If you don't call a bluff, you lose. You always have to call a bluff. A bluff doesn't just end by itself. If you stand by and watch it happen, you lose. By the way, I think that's the best thing you've ever said on the show. Uh, you've been you've been tweeting out. If you follow Noah on, on Twitter, he's he's been tweeting out images of the Russian buildup, and he's like, "That's one hell of a bluff right there." I mean, it's just just laying that out on the line. I I I appreciate your position, and I want you to know that I have said on this show regarding troops, I don't think they should be sent because we're not going to do anything with them. Uh, and I've been taking it from from that uh, point of view, and certainly because I would like to see if if the Europeans are worried about this threat, as you spell it out, what is it that they're doing about it? So let me maybe move the question just a little bit while I still have just a little bit of time left. I I don't disagree with the idea of calling a bluff. I get your point. But why is it that we are calling a bluff? This is what people ask on, on, on Midwest Main Street. Why aren't the Europeans calling the damn bluff? What is it that's happening that we're not seeing from them one concerted voice of this creates disaster for us? Why aren't they leading their own charge? Well, again, uh, Europe does not and has never spoken with one voice. The United States is the first among equals in the Atlantic Alliance. They set the tone. They call the march. And Europe tends to follow along, albeit usually reluctantly and with occasional stragglers. Right now we have Berlin and Paris dragging their feet. Two out of tens of the NATO allies, all of whom, again, are speaking with one voice. You have uh, Poland and the Baltic states streaming lethal weaponry into Ukraine. You have um, political delegations from the U.K., from Poland, from half a dozen other countries streaming into Ukraine to demonstrate their solidarity. Um, And you have the provision of uh, probably some what we understand to be from reports that I can't that I don't think anybody's confirmed uh, covert assets making their way into this country, making Ukraine a harder target. That's deterrence. And it's coming from Europe. It's not coming from us. You keep mentioning these eighty five hundred troops. They're not deployed. They're activated. They're subject to deployment based on the activation of NATO's rapid response forces. NATO hasn't activated rapid re- response forces. The NATO alliance has a veto over our troop deployment right now, and NATO has not moved. So, yes, to the extent that we've seen any movement, movement at all, it has come mostly from European capitals, with a, with a couple of hand holding from, you know, episodes from, from Washington saying, okay, to the Baltics. Okay, you can export the lethal arms that we give you 
into Ukraine. That's about as passive as it gets from Washington. Everything else is coming from Europe. Noah Rothman, you find him on Twitter, Noah C. Rothman, on the Twitter box, his work at commentary.org, Commentary Magazine. And as always, I like when you bring fire. I, I, I don't mind you setting a record straight. I'm down, I'm down with it. I'm down for the uh, thing. I, I appreciate you giving me the opportunity to do so, Tony. Thank you. Always a pleasure. Now, more to get to. I'm Tony Katz.